Well, good evening, or good evening, or good afternoon, or I don't, uh, I think I've experienced an afternoon service since last year in Brazil. Our church typically did an afternoon service. Uh, the second church that I did, uh, we went to and took over for another missionary. We had an afternoon service. Uh, it was different, it was, you know, not what you're accustomed used to in the morning and evening service, but, um, you know, you get used to it and you just go with it. Uh, a lot of our folks traveled about two to four hours to get from the home to the church. So that's why we always did an afternoon service at three o'clock because then it would give them time to get up and eat breakfast and get on the bus and get to the church. Um, but uh, thankful to be here and thankful for uh, Keith the Hike Baptist Church. Um, you know, there's a lot that you guys did for us that we, uh, it's hard to name them one by one. But the church has done really so much for us, you know, with just the hospitality, uh, the offerings and things like that, and the prayers that you guys have done. Um, you know, we're very thankful for your support and um, your giving and, you know, your thoughtfulness in order to send the message. Um, I know my parents are here, and so it's easier to kind of send them and they can spread it out to the church. Um, but, you know, I'm thankful um, that they're here. And so... You know, my wife, you know, sometimes you kind of go through life and go up and down, especially this last few days, it's just been really, really crazy. Um, And something that typically you would think, you know, Lord, what am I learning? What am I learning through all of this? And I I think in this particular moment, um, you know, we just came from a mission conference in Michigan. And the theme of it was Psalm 27. You know, Jehovah is my light. It says, God, the Lord, is my light and my salvation, and whom shall I fear, you know. But that word Lord is typically meaning Jehovah. And when I left Michigan and we came down here and we kind of started going through the battles of hitting the deer, and, you know, my wife got pink eye, and, um, you know, I'll give you another story what happened last night, but... So I, I get home from visiting my parents' house, okay? And uh, so my dad and, you know, we hanged out at my dad's house. And we're on our way and we get back to the hotel. And uh, I get there and my wife's like, okay, you know, the girls need to get their bath and get ready because we got church tomorrow, you know? And so here's the thing about when you're in a deaf family. I'm hard of hearing my wife is deaf. And my kids are just kids, you know? And so... <laughs> we're in there, we're given to go to the bath, and everybody goes into the little living room area section or the bedroom section of the hotel. And it's like, okay, the girls got their pajamas on, we're ready to go to bed, and all of a sudden I look over and I see something shining off the floor. And I'm like, oh! I mean, I took off running, you know, and I knew what it was because I've seen it many times before, but it was the bathtub had overflowed. And it went down into the bathroom and into the carpet of the hotel. And, I mean, where you're walking, it was just like, squish, 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 squish. And, um, and you know, it, that's just another thing that happened. But I'm not complaining. But what, I was, what I'm trying to think of God, what he's trying to teach me is that I think, in, even in Psalm 27, when you read that, like 13 times it has the name Jehovah out of 14 verses. And I'm not reading in Psalm 27 today, but just to kind of give you guys... Um, something to think about, but I, it typically to me is that that's the name of God, and that tends to draw a more personal relationship, because we know when we read it, we're just thinking, Lord, 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 God, you know, and then when you begin to really know who it is, then you start saying Jehovah, and then it's like, 
it's, it's almost like you can whisper and he's there. You know, and um, so that's kind of my uh, my take of being here in Missouri. And I told my wife, I said, I don't think I ever want to be fellow again because we've been here at least about a month, no, one year now, and um, I think I'm ready to go back home to Brazil uh, to be there. But uh, so what I want to read is, is I want to read in Psalm 19, and this is a very familiar passage of Scripture with a lot of people who, you know, if you read in the Psalms, and you, you probably hear a lot of preaching and that, um, but in Psalms 19, I'm going to read just the, the second half of the Psalms 19, but I want to give you kind of a little bit of an outlay, something to think about, and this is what I was thinking whenever I was, uh, so we went to Jefferson City, Tennessee, and we're at a church called Faith Baptist Church, and the pastor's name is Mark Campbell, and so we're preaching at the church, and then the next day, um, well, that evening on Sunday, uh, one of the men said, hey, we're going to go out kayaking and canoeing. We're missing one guy, you know, and, you know, you're interested in going. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll go, you know. And so two men got on the canoes, and me and the pastor, you know, we had a kayak each, you know. And so we get there, we leave at 7 o'clock in the morning, we get to a river called Holton River. And so it's up in Michigan, um, it's up in Tennessee. And so we get there, well, we ended up paddling about 8.4 miles on the kayak. But the kayak typically goes more slower because, you know, you got to do the one all the paddling. You don't have two people doing it, but you got one, you know. But here's what I've observed when you're on the river. So this was my second time. So you, when you go down the river, it, the water was very low. It was almost like six feet below what it normally should have been. So it was really, really low. So there was a lot of rocks and rough patches in the water. And it's almost like you can just jump out of the canoe and just stand there and you're not really going to sink. But here's one thing that I've observed. When you get on the boat or on the, the kayak and the waters are really smooth. Now there's, there's some kind of like what typically people call the boring part where it's all smooth. And then there are some where you got the water waves and you're like, yeah, that's decided, you know, you want to get on the wave. But the problem is that when you look at the waves, it's not always waves. It's just typically a rock stuck in the middle of the, the water that when you get to there, you're kind of like, you know, you, you get stuck in what we would call hung up, you know. And so I'm in the back, and I got a canoe, and the pastor's in the kayak, and I'm in the back, but I get to watch everybody where they're going. So whoever gets hung up, I get to avoid them and kind of steer my way around to somewhere else. But what I was, what I was thinking was, that a, when that object lesson of watching that, typically that happens a lot in our Christian life, is that we think something can be really excited, something can be really smooth, you know, that you're just kind of ready to go for that rush, you know, just to get that feeling. But then again, when you do that, you could get what's called hung up. And basically, that typically tends to be like a type of a sin, that you just feel like, well, if I just do it one time, you know, I just cry out to God and He forgives me and then I just move on with my life. Then you get hung up. But the problem is, is you're planning what you think is going to happen, but typically you may really be in deep bondage more than you thought you would have been. And so when I, was re- when I read in Psalms 19, you know, and I'm over in Brazil, and there's a lot of people that don't read the Bible because especially with the deaf, English or Portuguese is a second language to the deaf community. So when you meet a deaf person, typically when you give them a gospel track, a lot of times they don't read it because they don't, they don't understand the English language. 
But when you're able to do a gospel track in sign language, then they become more like, oh, wow, this is alive to me. So my main focus, especially, um, you know, with my wife and I, we want to be able to help people really read the Word of God and help them to understand the things of God. Um, you know, let, let me just take you over to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, um, just to kind of show you something. And, you know, this kind of goes really right in, you know, what the pastor is preaching about in, um, in Matthew. And so, we're talking about what Christ was teaching to the disciples. And so in Second Peter, or chapter 1, verse 3, it says, According as his divine power hath given to, unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So the, the things that most Christians, when, they, when they're not in the Bible, when they're not in church, they don't realize how much things that the Word of God can provide for them um, that would really be able to get them out of the rocky situation that they're in. You know, I mean, I try to think of my own life Whenever I got involved with, you know, the drugs and everything at 13, all the way up to the age of 23, I got saved at 21, I never really had to go through a really rehabilitation program. It was, you know, somebody led me to the Lord, and then after that, I had to really force myself to study the Word of God. I mean, you know, our, our church, you know, we used to have these uh, daily praise books. And I would grab them off the table in a three-month worth of reading. So I would grab them off the table, and I would read through them, but I had to mark them. So I'm working on the, the roofing company on the way to the truck. I'm, I'm constantly writing them down because this is um, what helps you grow. I mean, it's like he said, you know, he gave somebody some verses to memorize, listen to two preaching sermons every day. And not only on top of that, have you ever noticed when you walk down the hallway, even when you get down to the fellowship hall, there's verses all across the wall? What if we did that in the house? That's typically what they normally teach, almost like in the Old Testament. They're basically where you have the laws of God right there on the doorpost. And that's what is amazing. But what, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get into the relationship. It's not the duty of reading, but the person who's behind the scripture. It's to get you in that relationship with the author. That's the whole purpose of it. And I know a lot of times we can look at it and say, oh, you know, it's a lot of reading to do. But it's not so much the reading, it's so much of the person that you're trying to come in contact with that wrote the word that can help you to have life and godliness, virtue and knowledge, you know. And so we'll be in Psalms 19, and uh, I'm going to kind of read down from verse 7 to verse 14. And... If you're not familiar with the scripture, from verse 1 to verse 6, it's like a a general revelation, what they call. It's like God is is revealed in his creation. And and so that talked about the, 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 they talked about the nature, and we would call the general revelation, and it's revealed about God in his typical nature. When we get to verse 7, down below, it talks about the Word of God, what it does. And so, the general revelation is enough, it's sufficient to reveal the fact that God exists, 
and to teach us something about his attributes. So what, what we're trying to do is not only discover the creator, but also discover the man who wrote the Bible. Um, and so what I want to look down here, it says in verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And it says in verse 8, uh, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It says in verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Verse 11, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Verse 12. Who can understand his error? Cleanse thou me from secret fault. And verse 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. And verse 14. The let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for, for being here at Keith the Heights Baptist Church. And Lord, we're thankful for the faithfulness of the people uh, to be here at the church. And we're thankful for the pastor to be able to oversee the flock, Lord, and to be able to guide them. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that we have to be able to guide us in our walk and our life with you. Lord, there may be times where we are further away from you, but there may be times where we are closer to you. And Lord, either way, we both still need to be close to you more than ever. And I pray, Father, that you help us to have the better relationship uh, that we have, but not only in just attending church and services that we do, but typically in the book of the Bible that we hold in our hand that we have, that many other countries do not have the opportunity to have access to the Word of God. So I pray that you bless today, and you be honored and glorified. Guide us through your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so our guide in life is the Bible. It is enough. It's true. Six times it identifies the source of the Word from verse 7 down to verse 14. So in verse 7, we have what they call the law of the Lord. The law is typically basically a set of beliefs, what we believe, what type of character should we have, the principles of right and wrong and a behavior, and how we should live. That's typically what the law means. I know a lot of times when we hear the word law, our attitude tends to be kind of like, ah, you know, because we, we think of modern day, the word law, which we, nobody likes to hear the word law, and we don't like to follow the law, but in this particular passage, God is teaching us in every area and part of our lives. The word perfect, complete, or sufficient enough, in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, it's sufficient. There doesn't need to be anything else added unto the word of God that could help us. You know, I try to think of the man at the tomb in, uh, in the New Testament where Jesus Christ goes to the other side of the sea and he meets the man at the tomb. This is the man who basically nobody wanted to meet. He was cutting himself up. It said that even the chains could not bound him. 
And so what I like about this, this portion of scripture is, is it makes me realize that nothing is impossible for Christ. Christ met the man at the tomb, set that man in his right mind and clothed him, and he was sitting in his right mind. That typically helps me to realize that as I travel from here to the United States and other countries and other parts of the world that we go to, that no matter where we go, nothing is impossible for the Word of God to be able to take care of the things in life. And so you, you may think of it like this today. Today we battle with the ideal of homosexuality and transgender. That's very popular issues right now. And when, you know, maybe a year or something ago, we had the Black Lives Matter and all those type of movements and different things. What we saw basically was, until today, what we're seeing is we're seeing anger and we're seeing bitterness, okay? So when you watch it and you hear about all the things, typically anger is the most word commonly used, and that's why everybody starts to hold a group. Or they do the things that they do because they're expressing anger, and they don't, some people don't want to cause a riot, but some people just do up to themselves to basically they're battling with anger, okay? And so typically when you meet a person who practices in transgenderism or homosexuality, a lot of times you're going to find out that they were bitter and they were angry. And that's what caused them to make that decision to say, I need to change myself because nobody accepts me for who I am, so therefore I'm angry, I'm going to go ahead with this because then they feel like they can have the you know, up in the world, which typically they're not. And so the scripture, it covers everything and it lacks nothing. Why is that? Because it says right here, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So that word converting, it speaks of reviving, making alive, transforming, restoring, or refreshing. That's the word of God. That's all in this right here. It does everything. You ever notice when you... Now, how many of you like to drink soda? Does anybody like to drink soda? Does anybody like cold water on a hot day? Okay. So you know how when you typically grab that cold water, or some of you who like to drink soda, you typically open that up and you drink it, and what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? You know? That's how, that's how you typically come and respond to those types of things. The Word of God is the same way when you begin to study and realize that it makes a pinpoint solution to your problem, you realize that you can sit there and say, Lord, you're good. You knew what I needed. And so the soul, where it says converting the soul, is talking about the inner person, the heart. Whether if we're talking about uh, salvation, if we're talking about sanctification, setting apart, setting apart, free from the power of sin, which is in the process, the sanctification, a new soul, a heart, God's word is sufficient to convert the soul. We had a lady in Brazil uh, during probably, I think, the 2020 year. So I'm, I'm uh, taking over for a church for a missionary, and we're way down here in Sao Paulo, okay? And we're in the big city of Sao Paulo. But this girl is way up north, almost close to the Atlantic Ocean, kind of close to what we call French Guyana, which is another country north of Brazil. So she lives way up there. One of our members in the church knew of her because she had done several visits up that way. And um, she worked a lot with the, the organization that helped the deaf people. So she became familiar with her. Well, anyway, her name is Joanne. So Joanne 
was kind of going through a difficult time, so she took the phone and she started signing to herself on through the phone, sending a video, and she's basically saying that she's on her way to the ocean to kill herself. Now she's sitting in the city bus on her way to the ocean, basically just to drown herself. And so that lady, well, she sent the video to our church member, and that church member sent it to me, and we sent it out to the church, and we said, hey, pray for Joanna, because she's on her way to the ocean to commit suicide. And so we're trying to get a hold of her, and finally we got a hold of her, and we said, look, go back home, and we'll talk, you know, through the phone. Like, it's the first time I've met her. And so we began to explain to Joanna about salvation. We wanted to know her relationship with the Lord, where she was at, and we began to explain well, she realized that she was not saved. And she made a commitment right there to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. So she went from almost committing suicide to basically receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did she stop there, but she also had a guy and a girl that was living in the same household with her. So there were three singles in the same house. So she began to get the other two to say, look, you're missing out. You need to get on board. And so she began to start setting up these videos. And I don't know if you paid attention, but in the video, I have my phone, my iPhone right there, and I'm talking with two people. The one on the left was Giovanni. And the other guy, you know, his name was Adilson. And so he accepted the Lord's second, and then the third one became to the girl. 1,864 miles to be exact from my home to where they were at. They were able to receive the gospel through the phone. And the greatest thing about that is, is by the Lord's divine plan, they ended up in Sao Paulo uh, by what they call accident. And... So they came down to my, they came down to the bus station and, you know, I began to kind of talk with them, but then I get a phone call saying, hey, you need to go to the bus station and pick them up. And I'm like, it's like 9.30 at night, you know, and I don't even know what the bus station is, you know. And so I had to get on my phone and find, and I got all four of us, you know, I got on my phone and drove over to the bus station and I'm looking around for them. And no, in other countries, what they typically say is do not ever go out at nighttime. And if you run to a red light at 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, you don't stop. You just drive right through it. Because crime and stuff is very highly typical in other countries. So they always look for people who stop at red lights and they break in. But I was on a mission. <laughs> and I had to get there to get three people to pick them up. And so we're driving there and I parked the car and I left my wife in the car and the kids in the car. And I'd walk and I began to walk in the bus terminal and I found them and I came and brought them to our house. And I come to find out that they were trying to meet a guy on the internet who wanted to meet him in person. It didn't work out. And so they said, can we stay at your house for a few days until we get the ticket, you know, rearranged? I said, okay. Well, what went from a few days ended up being to two weeks. And so they stayed in our house for two weeks. And I was thinking, Lord, what am I going to do with three people in my house for two weeks? And so I started praying about it, and I said, okay, well, let's just... Let's do a Bible study every morning on the book of John. And so we started teaching on the book of John to teach them about the life of Christ. We ran into all different kinds of conversations. I mean, even science fiction came up because, you know, one of them got the idea of the E.T. movie and they thought it was real. 
And so we began to talk about this and talk about the movies and talk about all things. And I had to blow everything up on my, uh, you know, the projector. I blew everything up on the, the wall and I began to do like the Bible studies and go through because I wanted them to have to know that it's just, it's just fiction. It's not true, you know. And so we had a really good time. But what was the purpose of all of that to get them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because someday they're going to go back home 1,864 miles and they're going to get there and they're not going to have a church. See, that's very common with deaf people. You can't go to any city or anywhere and say, you know what, I'm going to go to church here. Because there's no interpreter. You can only go to a church where there is an interpreter. And most highly common is that even if you went to a Catholic church, which is very popular in Brazil, you go to a Catholic church, they don't know whether the doctrine is right or wrong. And so God's word is sufficient to convert the soul. The second one that we have here in verses 8, it says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So the statutes of the Lord are right. The, uh, let's see, the commandment of the Lord. And so what we have here is that the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The principle, the guideline, is typically where we come to this word with statutes. And the word right, basically the Bible says that the guidelines are right, so it shows the believers that the right spiritual path and guides them into the way of true understanding. People who follow are not left to wander in many opinions. So when you typically follow the word of God, you're not like a child just thrown out there and just wandering. You know, you're not just out there drifting in the sea, as the Bible talked about. Why is that? What's the result? Because it's the rejoicing of the heart. If we become excited about learning spiritual guidelines more than the things that we receive in this world, our church and our testimony would be consistent and powerful. I don't know about you, but I know what it's like to live a life where you just have things going right, and when you do something wrong, you have regret, you have guilt, you have experiences that you don't, feeling that you don't want to feel, feeling that you just want it to go away and erase, that never happened before. But the statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. The only thing we were able to get any rejoicing from is from the Word of God. It says that the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment emphasizes the authority. It's what God requires, and He blesses those who follow and judge those who do not follow. The word pure, is the better interpretation is more clear, kind of like what Brother was talking about with that glass of water. Where you drop some, uh, what's the English word you use? Antifreeze, um, I'm thinking in Portuguese, but antifreeze and different things, chemicals in there that's very clear. It looks like it's clear, but it's not. And so the word is very clear. Well, why is that? Why is it that the commandment of the Lord is pure? Why? What's the benefit? It enlightens the eye. It reveals the knowledge of everything in the Word of God. It shows you that it's enough for our spiritual needs and our principles of right and wrong are confusing, our principles. So the Bible makes those principles very clear. 
That's why the Bible is called light and a lamp. That's why we have a lot of similarity in the Word of God. I, w- I want you to kind of think of it like this way. This is what I'm coming across, and I'm kind of getting myself more deeper into studying on this. But if you notice the first five books of the law that Moses has wrote, and they all happen before they get into the promised land, okay? We can see the... We can see the the the, uh, the goal in these particular five books of the law of what God is trying to do with His people Israel before He gets to the promised land, because once they get into the promised land, there are other people out there, different gods and different groups that have different beliefs and different studies and different cultures, different lifestyles, and everything like that. So God is preparing His people to be able to handle all of those in this new world. And then when you notice too, when you get down to the book of Matthew, after it kind of talks about the life of Christ and we get into chapter 5, 6, and 7, if you notice that when he opened chapter 5, Christ talked about with the scribes and he sat down with the disciples and said, out of his mouth came and he talked about what he's saying. And when you get to the end of chapter 7, he talked about foundation, the sand and the rock. What's he trying to emphasize? Those who hear and do the word of God will be like this rock. They will have that foundation. So what is Christ trying to tell us? From the, to me, I'm, it may not be any similarity, but just from my observation is, is I'm looking at, in the Old Testament, we have the foundation in the first five books of the law. And then when you get to the New Testament with Matthew, the first book in there, and you begin to realize that he takes his disciples that he had chosen and he be explained to them what they're going to face and what's going to happen when they get out there. Because where are they going? They're going out. Where were they going in the Old Testament? They were going into the new land. And so, you see, God has a particular purpose for us to read the Word of God in order to have a foundation set, because otherwise we're going to be, our world and generation is going to change, but the Word of God is not going to change, and it doesn't change, even in every generation that even happens from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I mean, think about all the empires that the land of Israel went through. It's like four major empires that they went through, but God's Word was able to carry a group of people through those hard times and difficulties. Why is that? Because God's Word, the commandment of the Lord, is pure, enlightening the eyes. And here it says, I won't be able to have time to go through all of, all of the verses, but here it talked about, this is kind of where I want to get into right here, but it says, more to be desired in verse 10. It says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. There's a lot of people out there that say that the word of God is not enough. You have to add into more things from the outside to bring in with the word of God to be able to fit with the everyday Problem. When people say that the Bible is not enough, it's because they don't read it. They don't apply it. They don't love it. They don't learn it. Here in verse 11 it says, Moreover by them is thy servant warned. That warned is basically talking about the spiritual protection. The Bible protects the believers in temptation and sin and when they're not sure. That's what I like. I'm not sure about something, so I need the Word of God to help me. But why is that? What's the result? What's the benefit? It says right here, and in keeping of them, 
then obeying them and following them, doing them, practicing them, applying them, the great reward, eternal reward. Well, who can say that God is wrong? Of all the benefits, why don't we just obey the word of God? It says here in verse 12, it says, Who can understand his error? Cleanse thou me from secret fault. Who can say that God is wrong? The fault is basically the sin that I don't plan to do, and I am often forgetting to confess them. Those would be faults. This is the one thing that I kind of came to studying, and I really kind of got involved, is right here in verse 13 it says, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. Now a lot of times we just read through that when we read our daily devotion, read through the book. But what did that word presumptuous mean? You know, I would kind of wonder. I like new words. I like big words. And I'm kind of thinking, what did that word presumptuous mean? What it means is basically it's called like arrogant sin. What we call premeditated sin. When we know about it. <laughs> you ever have where you do a crime and some people begin to investigate and they say, oh, well, that's called premeditation. Murder, premeditation. Things that happen, premeditated, because they had thought long and hard about these things before they actually did it. Do they know it's wrong? Yes, they do. But they're going to appear before a judge saying, Judge, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not guilty. I didn't know. They knew. They knew. But why? What's the result of keeping them back from presumptuous sin? It says, Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. So, what's the result? Upright, innocent, no blame. Keeping back thy servant from presumptuous sin, and let them not have dominion over me. Control, let them not have control over me. Because, it says right here, then shall I be upright, blameless. I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Well, what's the great transgression? It's the ideal of apostasy. Spiritual disaster. Knowing the truth, but never returning to the truth. That's called spiritual apostasy. It says right here, Let thy word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord my strength and my redeemer. There was a great historian that wrote a quote that said, it's better to take care than to repair. So what's he talking about? If you know that something consistently happened in that area all the time, it's better to jump on it, take care of it, than to wait till later until something happened, then you're going to have to repair the damages afterwards. So think about that in your spiritual life. If I know that I'm hung up, okay, I'm hung up, it looks smooth, I'm, I feel, I think this is the right way to go, but when I go through it and I get hung up, don't continue to stay there and hung, get hung up. Because typically when you get a boat and you're stuck and you're hung up in there, there's a lot of times where you actually have to get out and you're going to have to lift that boat to get up off that rock and get back on the water. You're really going to have to do more work than just 
okay, Lord, well, let's just, you know, I'll try to get over it. There's a lot of work that really goes in. I mean, you really got to pray. You really got to seek God's face to face. It's almost like you got to be like Jacob. You got to wrestle with that angel. You know, you got to get to where you say, Lord, I don't want to be hung up here. I want to get out of this. And that's when we began to think about this, you know, coming back to that kayak story, is that when you begin to sit in the back and you already see all these people that go through all of these mistakes, it's not like you're not it's not like you're trying to be better than them, but it's that you're trying to avoid what you would call the pothole or the hung up of where you are. And when you're in the word of God, and like he said this morning, you know, what made David so great? Because he had a contrite heart. He was, if you read in Psalm 51, he talked about getting down. I mean, he actually fell flat on his face. When he was approached by the prophet Nathan, he fell flat on his face and he sought the Lord God right there. That's where we would do in our own life where we say, Lord, I'm not where I am to be. Well, we have to fall flat on our face and we have to cry out to God and say, God, I don't want to be in this particular situation. And you know, even right now, with me raising two girls, five and five, four months apart, different personalities, I'm, I want to try to be the best dad that I can, you know. I want to be able to study in what was God emphasizing so much in the first five books of the law. What was God emphasizing so much in the first part of the New Testament before the disciples went out? What was he trying to emphasize so much? I just want the girl to know who is Jehovah, who is God. I'm not asking them to do 1,000 other things in the local church. I just want them to know that when something happens, like we hit a deer, or the water overflows in the bathtub, or mom has pink eye and, you know, we can't do really much of anything except for waiting. Things that come up in life, I... I don't want us to be over anxious because that's typically the first response is to do is to become anxious. That's why even if you read in, in Psalms or Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, you know, where it says be careful for nothing. That's basically be anxious. Don't be anxious for anything. Don't be anxious. And that's why it comes down to chapter 4 verse 8. Think on these things. Because I know me, even as a missionary, I've got to go to all these different churches. I have to present myself. I have to be careful what I do. I've got to watch my children. And, you know, it's all about sharing a good testimony. But at the same time, I want my girls to know who is Jehovah. Who is God. And I want them to have that personal relationship that they can cry out to God even when they're scared. Even when something happens. I want them to know that they don't have to be hung up. They know that there's a God who is great and mighty and powerful. And it's like we were singing on the way here to the church, you know. He got the whole world in his hand. We can sing that, but we have to practice that. And so, I just wanted to share with you, you know, talking about how not to be hung up, but basically a worldview that honors God. The Word of God, getting into it, is the worldview that honors God. And, you know, folks, we're going to be, we get more fed through outside 
of this. You know, we get more fed outside of this than we do inside of it. And I'm not the greatest of all either. There's more times where I could be more involved than I actually should. But because of what's going on in the culture and the world today, we're likely typically to be worried, anxious, angry, bitter. It's going to affect our spiritual life. We're going to try to take things in our own control. But who's greatest of all? God. But what did God give us to be able to learn how to walk through this life? The Word of God. And so I want to encourage you to have a worldview that honors God. And that's in Psalm 19, verse 7 down to 14. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your wonderful word. As all the many different kinds of things that we learn and read and, you know, as it being a light and a lamp and as it being sweet and honey. Father, Lord, it's not only even here in America that's dark, but it's even other parts of the world that is dark as well. But Lord, we, we really need to get back to how is our relationship with the Lord every day. Is it so close enough that we could call you Jehovah? Is it so close enough that we could call you Jehovah Jireh? Is it so close enough that we could call you Elohim? Adonai. Do we have the relationship? And even those particular names have different meanings for those. And that's you. Because all throughout Scripture we read, Lord, the book that you put in our hand that we can read, that we could have a close relationship with you, that we can gather our friends, our family, our church people, the world around us and say, look, there's a God who's in control. He is loving, but He is just. He's merciful, and He's also forgiving. He's faithful too. But Lord, we thank You for that. We ask that You bless uh, the time that we have today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.